Meta has spent upwards of $50 billion developing the metaverse. But will it pay off? Go inside the company in a new three-part series, From Facebook to Meta, Zuckerberg's Big Bet, in the Tech News Briefing feed from The Wall Street Journal. Hey, everyone. I'm Janet Babin from The Wall Street Journal's Future of Everything podcast. We are just coming off of The Wall Street Journal's Future of Everything online festival, and we wanted to share a conversation we had with one of the guests, five-time Grammy Award winner Jacob Collier. He's now working on his next album, Jesse Volume 4, the last installment of his quadruple album series. The 26-year-old UK native is known for his complex harmonies. He often plays each instrument in his songs, using technology to layer tracks hundreds of times over. I think that this is the era of freedom and the way in which music feels and as, as someone in the industry is is perpetually liberating to me. I think, you know, even the idea of genre is seems very dated and people are combining and contrasting forces in whole new ways. Today on the podcast, we talk with musician and producer Jacob Collier, fresh off his latest Grammy Award win and a postponed tour. Collier discusses how he engaged with fans over social media during the pandemic and the limitations of technology like AI when it comes to making music. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. Robert Half is here to help. Our recruiting professionals utilize our proprietary AI to connect businesses with highly skilled talent. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Like many of us, Jacob Collier works from home in a small studio overflowing with instruments, gear, and stuff. I'm sitting in my childhood music room where I've made my last four albums from my family home here in North London. And Jacob, I have to say, because you're on uh, video looking in there, it's pretty cramped in there. <laughs> it's, it's a little cramped. There are musical things in most corners of this room. Is that because you've been there since childhood or just that's the way you like it? Uh, I am a lover of chaos. I, 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 I respond well to it for some reason, but also this, this is the place I've, I keep most of the things that I make music with over the years they've accrued, I suppose. And so now I'm, I'm, I'm stuck with a bunch of things that make different sounds, which is not a bad thing. Your mother was a violinist and you were born with absolute pitch. Mm. So you had a lot of things going for you. Can you talk about um, how that impacted your work? Yeah, for sure. Um, I, it's, it's a funny thing, isn't it? Absolute pitch. It's almost like a, a bit of an abstract thing. And it, it feels a bit like a, a magic trick to those who don't possess it. But I think all it means is that I can tell what note you're singing or playing without you telling me. So I know that that's a C and that's a G and that's a C sharp and that's an F sharp, you know. So um, I, I think it's it's really just a, a, a form of memory. And I was surrounded by music in such a visceral way as a, as a young boy. And um, I used to press play on that CD player in, back there in the back room and, and wonder what would come out of it, you know. And it was a very thrilling moment where it would be, oh, it's Stevie Wonder or, oh, it's Bartok or, oh, it's Beck or... Crikey, it's Bobby McFerrin, you know. So, so I, I was always uh, intrigued by surprise, and I was always a, a fan of, uh, an, an advocate of 
these combinations of things that felt quite odd and strange. And so I think that growing up within um, this house as a, as a musician, especially with, with my mum as the sort of primary force, for me, I, I really, I, I fell in love with music, not because of how it made me think, but because of how it made me feel. This spring, Collier and his mother, Susie Collier, posted a duet of the timeless song Tea for Two on Twitter with son on keyboard and mother on violin. Jacob, you've said that you're profoundly introverted, but that playing music on tour made you realize that the more you you are, the more compelling your story is, the more real everything feels. I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about that transformation. For the introverts among us, it's a hard turn. It's it's a very hard turn and a complex one at that. Uh, I was very, um, very interested in the details within music for many years. So I sat in basically in this exact chair and I, I designed sound worlds. I, I designed universes um, here on my own a, a lot of the time. So I would go into school, I would jam with friends, I would play in bands and things, but really my comfort zone was here. And I would take back those raw materials, put them together in in new ways, in sort of Jacoby ways, or as I like to say, Jacobian ways. And um, I think over the years, I, I really I fell in love with that process of being a bit of a designer, a, a storyteller through design. And so when I went on tour, um, a few things happened. One was that I had to let go of details in a certain kind of a way, because on tour, the thing that communicates when you're standing on a stage is not whether it's or, you know, th- those those amounts of differences. It's it's how it feels to be in the room. And so I think for me, it was a bit of a a bit of an inversion of the direction of my energy that, that I had to undergo. And I used to think that I would stand on stage and I would, I would pretend to be somebody else, some, you know, pretend to be a big, loud version of myself and that that was what people wanted. But I think, you know, trying that out and realizing that it didn't make me particularly happy and it wasn't very honest of me to do that was, was an interesting challenge because I think I realized that if I was just Jacob and presented the truth to people, then they would respond much, much better and more, more readily to that than, than, than otherwise. And so I think over the five years I've been now touring, you know, I've, I've really fallen in love with that process of saying, look, this is me today. And my inner world is always going to be very, very vivid. And so when I stand on that stage and I, I present a story, my challenge is how can I, how can I build a bridge from the space I'm in to the space that I am in physically? Uh, and just be honest about that. And I think that if you're, if you're mucky and if you're willing to be imperfect and if you're willing to take risks, um, and just find your energy where it is, then that is often the most efficient way of communicating. You know, you've been performing at home for years and collaborating with people online for years as well. So we're wondering if the pandemic year or how the pandemic year changed your creative process, if it did at all. Mm. Well, in a funny sense, I've always been happy here creating my own. And so I was strangely prepared for, for lockdown. You know, I've had to learn to be resourceful in this in this space for my whole life and and I have evolved to be a creator on those terms. So I think for me it was about it was about rethinking proportions and perspectives and and just asking why again because over the last 5 years or so I've been so busy traveling around and collaborating and thinking big and thinking small and all this stuff that you don't often sit and think why am I alive and how does it feel to be alive. And I think the real thing that the, the thing that we've all realized this past year is that no one really knows anything, you know, and it's hard to be certain and in some ways that's a gift for the brain is to say, you know what, it's okay to not be certain about this and about that. 
Meta has spent upwards of $50 billion developing the metaverse. But will it pay off for the company, its investors, and for CEO Mark Zuckerberg? Over time, I hope that we are seen as a metaverse company. And I want to anchor our work and our identity on what we are building towards. Meta's trillion-dollar business and how we use the internet could hang in the balance. Go inside the company in a new three-part series, From Facebook to Meta, Zuckerberg's Big Bet, in the Tech News Briefing feed from The Wall Street Journal. During the pandemic, you started the All I Need Challenge, where you had people improvise over one of your songs. Can you tell us the role participatory music like this plays in your work? It's huge, and increasingly so. I I started off as a you know, as a as a musician on on one's own, and that was the world that I built and designed. And so, after the release of my first album, which is called In My Room, which I released back in 2016, and after the tour of that album, which was all over the world, I came back and I thought, I'm what I'm craving most of all is that feeling of being with others and the feeling of bouncing off others and learning from others and and getting out of my own way a little bit because I was quite in my own way <laughs> because there was so much going on that I was conscious of and that I was in charge of, and so. I think the idea of collaboration has been this seed that I've been sowing and, and this this love that has been growing for the last few years. And obviously, COVID is an interesting time to be collaborative because you can't move anywhere. So I think I've I've been very grateful for the advance, the, the timely advance in, in technology, even even something as simple as FaceTime, you know, or Zoom um, and remote desktop software, um, being at a level where you can communicate and make music with people no matter who they are, where they are, as long as there's an internet connection. So I think I've I've enjoyed outsourcing my ideas and, and both with artists and collaborators such as those on my my latest album series Jesse and, and Jesse Volume 3 came out last year but actually just by in general terms just from people too and learning how to reach people and move people and and create with people and you know ultimately we as musicians and as people we, we don't get to decide who we move but we can at least lay our materials out there for people to find them. You're someone who uses a lot of technology in your creative process. I mean, you're known for playing all the instruments on your recordings and for laying down intricate harmonies using hundreds of simultaneous audio tracks in your mixes. And we've been talking with musicians who use AI, artificial intelligence, technology, machine learning in their process. I wonder if there's a new sort of technology that you could imagine that could change the way you work or make music. Yeah, I, I'm often asked, will, uh, will AI take the place of musicians? Uh, because, you know, it's taking the place of many other people in, in their jobs around the world in, di- in different faculties, different spheres. Um, I, I feel pretty secure as a musician, actually. I don't think that AI is, is, is knocking on my door and, and writing songs better than me as a human can or or playing instruments better than I can. I think that it's an extraordinary tool. Um, and I think that the, the, the concept of, of generating things that humans can't come up with or think of because we're too logical or we're too rigid um, is endlessly thrilling to me. And so a lot of very interesting experiments that I've seen based in AI, the ones that have excited me most, have been where you feed AI a bunch of information and it says, this is how I see this. And it will go, you know, even speech synthesis and things like that is fascinating to me because... You know, essentially, you say learn how to, you know, recreate patterns that we as humans find meaningful, and and then, you know, grow that as a as a stimulus, as a as a communication device, and so so that's crazy. And I think as a musician, I'm always on the lookout for things that surprise me. You know, things I've never heard before, feelings I've never felt before, and 
And as an artist, I like those materials. So I think AI has, the, has a huge potential to change the way that we have ideas. But I don't think that AI will step in and have the ideas for us. I think that that's, that's actually something that only people can do, ultimately, in, in all fields. I think that AI can solve problems. It can speed up workflow. It can finesse um, the process of execution. And I think it, it can give us all sorts of crazy ideas that our minds can't, can't wrap themselves around. But I, I feel like humans create the best on human terms. And, and I think that if there's a world where you know, AI and, and machine learning and, and that kind of technology can aid us in our humanity, in the expression of that, then we're on to a, a, a sort of creatively sustainable future. What are you working on now? Primarily, I'm working on uh, Jesse Volume 4, which is the, the final album of this quadruple album series. And each of these albums has been a completely different universe of sound. Jesse Volume 1 was an orchestral album. Jesse Volume 2 was a, a folk album, so to speak. And, and Jesse Volume 3 was a sort of hip-hop, R&B, soul, pop album and, and electronic to boot. So... Volume four was the one I, I always knew would come and combine all of these lessons, all these forces, all these materials. So I'm working on that now and it's feeling pretty infinite. I think I need to make it a bit more finite at some point soon because it's a little unlimited, which is a, a nice place to be. And and um, and certainly within the world of music, I think that this is the era of freedom and and the way in which music feels and as as someone in the industry is is perpetually liberating to me. I think, you know, even the idea of genre is seems very dated and people are combining and contrasting forces in whole new ways. So so creatively, I think there's there's never been a more exciting time to be creating anything ever. All of my favorite musicians at this point in time are are outsourcing sound worlds, you know. Um, and, and it's interesting because I think there's a, a genuine curiosity for for diving into the communities that that make these these forms of music possible. Um, and you know, with even with the rise of, of of something like TikTok, just the way in which we can communicate and we can share ideas is really rapidly changing. And um, being an artist uh, is far less about oh, what what are my albums and you know are they any good and what do they sound like, but much more about what's my format of communication, and and therefore what are my priorities and and, and what's important. So when I think about communication, I don't just think about what are my lyrics in my songs or how do my sounds feel when they're put together or, you know, how do I go on tour and play my songs? But, you know, it's, it's what kind of, um, what kind of things make me tick as a human, as a person and, and what's my sense of humor, you know, and, and what do I prioritize about, about my life and, and the things that I do, the things I'm interested in and all those things just fall out of me with, with social media. And so I think that as an, as an audience member to, you know, hundreds and even thousands of, different musicians, different people I follow along with on, on, on the daily. Um, I think we're living in a world where it's, it's, it's actually about, about trust. It's almost like saying, I trust your filter. So I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow what you have to say rather than I like your music. And so I'm going to follow you. It's, it's you, the person, it's you, the, you, the human being, you, the thinker, you, the curious evolver, you know, and I think with artists from that standpoint, evolving every day, every, every week, every month, every year, um, there's this amazing communication crossfire that's happening all the time where you can tune into an ever-flowing idea sort of base and good ideas rise to the surface. I, I, I genuinely believe that. I think that more than ever before, you don't have to be, 
you know, in the right place at the right time physically, you can have the right idea at the right moment in your own life. And if it's meant to happen, it will, it will, it will happen. It will click. Jacob Collier, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you very much, Janet. That was, that was wonderful. The Future of Everything is a production of The Wall Street Journal. Stephanie Ilgenfritz is the editorial director of The Future of Everything. Lee Camping Carter is deputy editor of The Future of Everything. Special thanks this week to Ellie Austin from our live journalism team, and of course to Jacob Collier. We heard his songs, Time Alone With You, and He Won't Hold You, from Collier's album, Jesse Volume 3. Our fact checker is Maddie Bender. Our sound designer is Sarah Gibble-Laska. Our producer is Casey Georgie. Kateri Yokum is The Wall Street Journal's executive producer of audio. And I'm Janet Babin. Thanks for listening. <laughs>